This morning's sermon comes from Mark chapter 7, verses 24 through 37. God speaks to us in his word. And from there he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, for this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee, to the region of Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment, and they begged him to lay his hand on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears, and after spitting, touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. This is the word of the Lord. All right. How's everybody doing? Good. Give me one second because there's a buzz up here. And I gotta figure out. I hope I don't just ruin. That was a miracle. What I just did. Ruin the buzz is gone. All right, sorry. <clears throat> um, if you're not familiar with me, um, obviously I'm a little bit weird. I can't handle buzzes, and so <laughs> my name's Ben. It's great to great to meet you guys. Great to see you. Really glad that you're here. Um, we're gonna jump into this. Um, really intense, um, uh, kind of a um, kind of a where are you at moment with our hearts today, and we had one of those moments last week, and we're going to do that again um, this week. And I just want to start by saying um, something that is hopefully helpful you to, to you today. Um, it's been helpful to me this week. Uh, most of us in the room, um, or a lot of us, would consider ourselves Christians, which means that we follow Christ. And it's not just, if you, if you have done it for any length of time, you'll understand that following Christ is not just simply another thing that you decide to do that would be like a good move for your life financially and emotionally and um, physically. or It's not just another thing that you just add to the list of all the other things that seem like a good idea because it's gonna help you self-actualize and it's gonna help you like live your best life now. Following Christ is actually more than just another thing that you decide to do. It, it requires more. And you, <laughs> it requires actually more than anything else. So everybody in the room that is doubting God or just 
have come into this room today because you look at the world and you're like, man, the world's totally screwed up. I've heard about church. Went to church when I was a kid or whatever. I'm gonna go and see if they have any answers. If that's you today or if you've been following Jesus for a while and you've been to church a thousand times at least and you know all the church language and the songs and nothing's new to you and um, whichever spectrum, like whichever end of it you fall on, there's just this hard but good reality. Jesus is not after what you know. He's not. He's not after what kind of intellectual knowledge you have. What he is after, primarily first and foremost, and will continue to be prioritized in your life, he is after your heart. He wants you to be fully devoted to him. He wants you to deny yourself. He wants you to lay down your life for him. That requires all kinds of work inside your chest, in your heart. And actually, if you ever learn anything about God at all, intellectually, actually, you can learn things and still not know him. And when the Bible talks about knowing God, that word to know him is literally translated as intimacy. It's how Adam knew Eve and Abraham knew Sarah. It's let me know about you, God, so that I can know you more because my heart, I need you. We've got this moment now in Mark where it's inescapable, man. I can't, there's no way for me to escape the reality of how Jesus treats people that say the right things but don't believe it in their heart. These people are religious leaders. And last week, man, he's just brutal. I mean, he, there's no like mincing of words. He is totally brutal. When Pharisees or, Sag or whatever, scribes come up to him and they say stupid things to try to corner him, one of those moments happened last week as Pastor Pat Robinson walked us through um, this moment with Jesus and the Pharisees when they were bringing up these old commandments, these traditions that were man-made about what you should eat and whether or not it defiles you. And, and Jesus has this moment where he looks at them and he goes, basically, he says, well, did Isaiah ever prophesy about you hypocrites? So full stop, just saying that enough is like, uh, where's, isn't Jesus supposed to be tender? <laughs> He was to everybody except these dudes. Did Isaiah ever prophesy about you hypocrites as it is written? Listen to this. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. How? How can we know about God but not actually know him? Seems impossible. Here's how. In John 5, 39, Jesus says to them again, 
You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. We need this book today to be intimate with God. We need it to know him. We need him to know us. And we need to once again today face the fact that God is after your heart. He wants your heart and he wants all of it. And he will not settle for half. He won't settle for 98%. He wants every bit and all of your heart. So this book today, which is God's word of truth to us, we're gonna let it form our hearts and we're gonna let our hearts be formed by it. Let's open our heart up today and jump in. The first is this, you've got this scene where Jesus now has left this confrontation with the Pharisees and he is now moving on and per typical Mark, it's from one thing to the next and it's really quick and they're all profound and you kinda have to catch your breath. And the first thing I want you to see that Jesus proves here is that grace is for literally everyone. Verse 24, from there he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and did not want to, anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. Tyre and Sidon, outside of the Jewish borders, when Jesus has been doing a lot of ministry within the Jewish borders. So people that would have known God, would have known about God, would consider themselves to be God's chosen people, especially the Pharisee, the scribe, that type of person, would have for sure been offended by everything that Jesus did, especially his rebuke of them. And Jesus was talking, doing all of this ministry in a context, in a culture which was very familiar to people who identified as Yahweh is our God, meaning God is our God and we are his people and he has given us commandments and he has done things for us and us alone and we alone are God's people, nobody else is God's people. So now Jesus does something that is really, really rare and really, really frowned upon as a rabbi, he now, as a Jewish rabbi, he moves out of the commonwealth of the people of God, out of Israel, and into a place where not identified as Jews. Jesus was a Jew, and so were his disciples. And these are all the people he'd been ministering to. Gentiles, however, Jews would have known the Bible, Man, they would have known it like the back of their hand. They would have memorized the Torah, the Pentateuch. They would have memorized all of it. They would have known since birth the story of Moses and all of these things in Scripture throughout the Old Testament. The Old Testament was what they had. They knew it. They were God's people. This is our book. We know everything about God. Nobody can tell me anything other than that. We know him. You don't. You are what's called a Gentile. I'm a Jew. You're a Gentile. 
You haven't learned the stuff. You're not God's chosen people. You haven't been through historically what we've been through. There's no way that you can know God like me. And because I'm God's chosen person, and because you're not God's chosen person, therefore you must be a lesser person than I am. How in fact could you even say that you were created in God's image if God didn't choose you as a person? Therefore, you must be a non-person. You are a dog to me. As a matter of fact, that sounds harsh. Jews literally labeled Gentiles as dogs. Now, I'm a dog lover. I've got a dog. I, you know, I like dogs. I mean, I, I'm like, you could, I've been called worse. <laughs> dogs in this day were not domesticated, cool, like labradoodles. No offense to anybody with a labradoodle in the room. I think they're awesome. Dogs in this day weren't in the house at all, man. They were in the trash heap. They were in the dirt. They were dirty. They were just nasty animals that no one wanted around at all. And here we have Jesus with his Jewish disciples going outside of the commonwealth of Israel and his interaction now, as soon as he steps out, is with a Gentile woman who Jews would have labeled as a dog. First things first, man. Jesus is just like gracious to even, he broke every cultural norm already just by speaking to this woman. And guess what? She did too. She did too. Jesus is doing something amazing with her. He's first off having a conversation with her, which is a whole nother ballgame. She's doing something amazing with him. She's breaking every cultural norm. She's doing everything that she was told not to do. She was outside of Jewish custom, but she would have surely known right outside of, of Jewish custom. She, she'd been called a dog by Jews her whole life. Pretty amazing. And she goes up to a Jewish rabbi and starts to speak to him. And this is the point I want to make right off the bat. Her desperation is what got her to the place where she didn't care what the culture said, she didn't care what the cultural norms were, what she knew or didn't know. She comes out of desperation to the one man that she knows can heal her daughter. This is so incredibly different from what we just saw with Jesus and Pharisees. This is crazy different. Pharisees, religious leaders, the pious, the ones that know everything, they come up to Jesus and they try to corner him. They try to turn him into what they think he should be because after all, we are God's people and we are the ones that have cornered the market on what God is like. Arrogance. And here comes Jesus claiming to be God. And he also has authority. And he also has knowledge and power. And he brutally rebukes them. I mean, it's not, it's just not, I don't know how to say it other than just tell you the fact. Like, this, 
The way he talks to these religious leaders is brutal. I mean, we don't even I really have like words and talk about offensive. This was instant, powerful, you know, the one who invented words, the one who invented language coming at them with all kinds of brutal words. And here's why. They don't think they need a savior. They're God's chosen people. They think God is coming to restore them to military prowess and establish the kingdom through them, the Jewish nation. They cannot possibly see the problem as their own sin. The problem is out there. We are good. We're God's chosen people. We are the ones who have the Torah. We're the ones that walk through the wilderness with Moses. We're the ones that were led out of slavery and bondage and captivity. Man, we're God's chosen people. Everybody outside of our camp is not. We're good. When Messiah comes, he is going to restore to us our military authority and power. That's what they think. It cannot possibly be that he's coming to lead me to repentance. There's no way. What do I need to repent of? I'm already more righteous than anybody else around me. I already know enough. And surely, I mean, look at this man. Look at Jesus, like, claiming to be God as a rabbi. Surely, this man eats with sinners. Would God ever do that? This man goes to Gentiles. Imagine the audacity of a man claiming to be Yahweh and going to eat with sinners and Gentiles, dogs. How arrogant is he? He claims to be God. What a joke. All that self-entitled, self-righteous elitism sure sounds like religion to me. And what Jesus is doing is he's given us a whole new ball game. True, better, real religion. And it's our heart, man. This Gentile woman, she doesn't care about any of that business. She doesn't know about the interaction with the Pharisees. She might even know what Pharisees are. She knows that her daughter is overtaken by a demon and there is the Lord himself coming in and he's the only one that can save her daughter. She has in her the one thing that is an absolute requirement to know Jesus. It's desperation. Not self-reliance, not self-righteousness, not knowledge of the culture or language or books or whatever, just pure and honest desperation that leads to a simple and pure devotion. She comes in desperation begging him to cast out the demon in her daughter and Jesus responds this way. Let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. So let me give you some context here because Based on what I just told you about dogs and Gentiles, you think, man, this is a pretty big insult coming from the Prince of Peace. (laughs) There's an order of the house, and there's an order of the gospel is what Jesus is saying. He's speaking to her in a metaphor. He's speaking to her in a parable. Romans 1.16 says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's to the Jew first and also to the Greek. 
Jesus is speaking to her in a profound way because he knows this is a profound moment and he knows this is totally about to change everything. Everything for him, his Jewish disciples, and the world. He says, dogs don't eat at the table. He's identifying in a parable with what every Jew around him would have said. What do you mean, come and eat at the table? Dogs don't get to eat at the table. But his mission is to change the way the entire world sees the entire world, and particularly God. And most specifically, change how Jews or religious people see non-religious people. Hello. Do we ever need to hear that right now? How religious people see non-religious people. Come on, man. Don't we need to hear that in 2021? Don't we need to take that to heart? Don't we need to put away our judgmentalness and our self-righteousness and put on the Prince of Peace? Don't we need to do that? Her answer to him is amazing. I love this, this woman, so desperate. She says, yes, Lord. First off, acknowledging him as Lord is a big deal for a Gentile woman. Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. (laughs) Persistent, desperate. I'll take whatever you can give me, she says. She doesn't get offended at him. She's not stirred up at him. She doesn't care about that. She just knows this man can heal. I don't know what he's like. He can heal. I need to go to him. Whatever he's like, he's like. Whatever he says to me, he says to me. But as long as he like touches my daughter and heals her, it's fine. He can call me do, to me, say to me whatever he wants. She's not offended. She's desperate. She didn't get sideways. She didn't even pause at the fact that he mentions her as a Gentile. She's an example to everybody in this room today. She doesn't come to Jesus with her knowledge. She didn't come with her understanding or her accolades. She's not like, Jesus, I deserve this. He says to her, you're a Gentile. What do you mean? Like, this is not even your time. She's like, I don't care. Let me, t- let me tell you, let me convince you why I do need you, why I have to have you. Even the dogs eat the crumbs off the table from the children. She's a total outsider. She's not used to Christian culture. She's not used to Christian language. She doesn't know anything about church. She would be totally out of place in the Midwestern Bible Belt Church. She would have no clue what we're talking about with Jews and Gentiles and what we're singing about. She would have no clue, but she would do what you need to do and what I need to do, and that is to show up knowing that there is one way that we get healing in this life, and that's Jesus. And I don't know everything about him. I don't know everything about this book. I don't know everything about Christianity. I don't know everything about anything. But I know that I need Jesus. I know that. And I know I've tried other stuff. And I know like the woman with the blood disorder who for 12 years had tried so many things. She just like, if I can just touch his garment, if I literally can just somehow touch his garment, I'll know I'll be healed. This is why it doesn't work 
for us to come to Jesus with our accolades. You don't have any. You got none. It's why it doesn't come, it doesn't work to come to Jesus with like, man, when Jesus saved me, he got a good, he got an all-star. He was smart to save me. I'm like, all-time QB. <laughs> Pretty good catch, man. Pretty good catch for Jesus. It doesn't work to do that. As a matter of fact, it's oxymoronic to even think that way. You cannot come to Jesus with a thought about how righteous and wonderful you are. It's actually the opposite that requires you to meet Jesus. We've got to be able to say and know and believe by the power of the Holy Spirit, I need a Savior. Which is why I'm telling you today, don't act like you've got your life together. You don't. Don't act like you've got this figured out. You don't. In this room today, there are multiple doubters and skeptics and people and sinners and people and liars and people. In this room today, and most of that belongs, most of all I just listed belongs to each one of us. What must I do to be saved? You need to be desperate, man. I need Jesus, and without him, I am totally screwed. It's a done deal. It's over. I have no chance for salvation outside of Jesus. I've looked at my life by God's grace. I've looked at my heart. I know what's in my heart. It's wicked and it's deceitful above all. I need Jesus. And then everything we learn about him, man, we love healthy doctrine in this church. It is so important. We love healthy theology in this church. We're gonna keep learning. We're gonna keep growing in it. Because every time we do, by God's grace, if our heart is desperate for God, then we'll learn just how even much more God loves us and how much better he is than we ever thought. That's what happens when you learn about God. You just discover like, man, he's really, really good. He's really good. The irony of all this is that the religious and self-entitled totally miss Jesus. And it's always the irreligious that are being blessed and healed and restored. We want to build Jesus to fit into our kingdom and to make our kingdom and make him the one that comes back and establishes our kingdom and votes the way that we do. Political persuasions and gives us the thing that we want, rubs our enemies' faces in the dirt and vindicate us. Which is why if you have had an interaction with Jesus or if you're a Christian, it's why that all of us will eventually have a problem with Jesus at some point. And why so many were against him in his day. He doesn't play by our rules. He's not our moral mascot. He's not gonna bow to your political persuasions. He's not here to agree with you and give you what you want. He's not. And he never will be. 
He came for the broken and desperate. He came for the total mess ups, for the one who can't seem to get it right. Jesus came for the awful person. He came for the lonely and despairing, for the depressed, for the brokenhearted. He came for the prostitute. He came for the drug abuser. He came for the thief and the downcast and the looked down upon. He came for the nobody and the somebody. And everyone who is ever found and rescued by Jesus is only able to be his followers because they needed him in desperation. Mark 2, Jesus says this, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. If, man, you're welcome here. I don't know how screwed up your life is. I don't know how crazy your thoughts are. I don't know how, what you're hiding. I don't know what it is. You're welcome in this church. You can come with every doubt, every thought, everything. You're welcome here. I don't want you to stay where you're at, man. I want you to find Jesus, and I want you, his kindness to lead you to repentance. And we're gonna continue to do that. We're gonna continue to disciple in this church, but first and foremost, like, you don't have to clean up your life to come to God. There's no way you could. Jesus says to her, I love this man. For this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter, and she came home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. This is true religion. This is Jesus coming to us. This is grace. The second thing is this. Grace does come to us. He leaves that moment and he moves on and here's what happens. Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee and the region of the uh, Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment and they begged him to lay his hand on him and taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears. Kind of weird, but whatever, Jesus. And after spitting, touched his tongue. Also like even more weird. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephatha, that is, be open. And his ears were opened, and the tongue was released, and he spoke plainly, this man did. And Jesus charged them to tell no one, but the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, he has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Jesus now goes out of Gentile territory, comes back into Jewish borders. He's at the Decapolis, which is... Uh, kind of a big place for lots, lots of Jews, but also lots of Gentiles. They were mixed in. And they bring him a deaf and mute man. I highly doubt it's because they were compassionate for the deaf and mute man. I'm sure it was because they wanted to see the spectacle on display. Can you heal this man? Look how messed up he is. Probably to do some parlor tricks. And Jesus shows unbelievable compassion in this moment. First thing he does is he pulls him away from the crowd. Now imagine being this man, deaf and mute. Imagine being in a culture where if you're sick, you're broken. If you're diseased, you're sinful. 
Other moments where they asked Jesus, like sick people in front of him, what did this person's parents do that this person became sick or leprosy or whatever? They were considered unclean, and this man would have been no exception. So they bring him this man, Jesus, what are you going to do with him? And Jesus, because he's not trying to get on the preaching circuit, (laughs) Jesus pulls him aside, and because he loves this man with compassion, he does something incredible. He heals him. I'm sure he had very little dignity. I'm sure he couldn't hear all the things that people said about him, defiled and brokenness. He puts his fingers in his ears and touches his tongue. Before that, he touches his ears. It's like, okay, that's kind of what is going on. Is this some sort of like miracle ritual that we don't know about Jesus? It's not a miracle ritual. He healed lots of people without a ritual. The only ritual he had was to pray. Jesus does, in his compassionate way, he identifies again with this man, a man who could not hear, who could not speak, but he could feel. Jesus puts his hands on his ears. He also touches his tongue and identifies with him when he sighs into heaven. Why why do we have to know that he sighed? (laughs) Was he bored already? Is he that tired? Well, imagine this. Actually, a a better interpretation of that word in Greek New Testament would be he moans. He moans. Another way to identify with a deaf and mute man. I mean, just in private, loving, identifying with the broken. He always does that. He continues to do it. He identifies with us in our weakness. He becomes our identity because we are weak. And we can't actually come to him unless we recognize our weakness and our brokenness. And then he identifies with us. And he says to this man, be opened. And ears opened, tongue released. And then he charged them to tell no one. Again, he's concerned with this man. He's not concerned with his reputation. The point of the miracles are never the miracles themselves. The point is what they point to. They point to this. Jesus is God, and he is actually compassionate, and he actually identifies with us, and he's the only one that can save us. He's the only one that can heal us. And also, ultimately, every piece of Scripture, everything that Jewish people had ever read, everything that Gentile people had never read, it all points back to this. Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. Isaiah 35 says this, Be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. With the recompense of God, he will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. He is the ultimate fulfillment of every single piece of Scripture. It's not just that Jesus was being compassionate with this man, which would have been enough. It's not just that he was healing him, which would have been enough. It's that in this moment, he is fulfilling again the law and all the prophets. What is true religion? What is it? 
Is it lining up your life to do all the things that you feel like you have to do in order to get God's grace? Is it constantly performing? Is it constantly looking the part? Is it actually believing that you've done enough to earn grace from God? What is true religion? True religion is this. It's desperation by you. It's recognizing that in your weakness is where you come to God. It's realizing that you cannot save yourself. It's realizing that you need a heart transplant. You need your heart of stone to be turned into a heart of flesh. You need to be changed. You need to be a different person. And when I look at my life and I look at all of the craziness surrounding my life, all of the sin, all of the habits, all of the thoughts, all of the whatever, man, I just kind of think, like, what, where is that going to go? What am I going to do with all of that? It's got to go somewhere. If religion is what God wants for me, if he wants this kind of religion where I've got to perform and I've got to like figure out what to do and figure out like how to like not sin as much, you know, so that maybe he'll like give me a pass and go, you know what, you did actually pretty good, Ben. You really didn't, you kind of passed the test. You did sin some, but you, didn't, you weren't as bad as like some of these other dudes. There's no way. His holiness can't stand in the sight of sin. It can't can't be around it. There's no, he is more holy than you can ever imagine. Not even one sin. It's got to go somewhere. What is true religion? It's this. Recognize that you need a savior. Submit your whole life to him. Be desperate enough to say, I don't know what I'm supposed to know, but my goodness, I know I need you, Jesus. And then the rest of your life, you do that imperfectly. That's true religion. Do you need grace today? Yes. Where are you going to find it? There's only one place. You find it in Jesus. The good news today is that God is tender, that he identifies with you, that he brought you here today to hear about him. The good news is you don't have to figure your life out to come to Jesus. He actually requires you to not do that in order to come to him. All who are weary and heavy laden, come to me, he says. Take my yoke upon you. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. I'm inviting you today, man. I'm just inviting you. Lay down your rights. Remember God. Remember Jesus. Remember who you said, yes, I'll follow him. Remember his grace and goodness for your life. He actually and totally loves you and accepts you exactly the way that you are. Are you weary? Are you heavy laden? Man, come to Jesus today. That's true religion. That's what it is. It's grace.
Let's stand together.